Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing in our journey through Ephesians. We preached through the first half a number of months ago. We took a break. Now we are completing the second half of Ephesians. We won't quite finish before Christmas. We'll finish in the new year, actually. Hey, teens, youth, kids, young people, remember you've got outlines to fill in the blanks, or you can get a notebook, jot down a couple notes, or if it's better for you just to focus and listen, please, please do. As we are restarting children's ministry for the younger kids, our older kids, I want to remind you and appeal to you that you think of this time as a very important time for you to receive from God's word. That you come here eager to hear from God in and through his word. Particularly today, you are specifically addressed by God in this passage. But I hope every Sunday you come ready to receive from God in his word. So I appeal to you, parents, please do position your young people who aren't in children's ministry to benefit from the preaching of Holy Scripture. Today is addressing specifically children and parents. So I realize you might not be a parent or maybe not actively parenting in your home right now, but this is God's, God's household code in Ephesians set in the context of a lofty vision for the church. So think of what you're going to hear as living this out in the context of the church. And you are very important to this church. And I trust there is something here for every single one of us. So let me ask for God's help. And then Sharon will read our passage. Father, we we, we assemble now under your word asking, Holy Spirit, for you to grant the gift of illumination, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, grant that we would behold wondrous things out of your word. Help us speak to us, we pray, for our good and your glory. Amen. Sharon's going to read Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. I may have shared this before, I can't recall, but it bears repeating. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson writes, quote, I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel pleas. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in an alien culture. I would like enough gospel 
to make my family secure and my children well behaved. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well behaved. But, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving greatly enlarged. I would like $3 worth of gospel, please. That nicely describes the challenge of the second half of Ephesians. The first half of Ephesians is about the glories of that gospel, the good news of Jesus, and the power of that gospel to transform, to transcend rather, all human differences, creating God's new society, the church. Now here in the second half of Ephesians, God applies that gospel to our lives. The second half begins, walk, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The second half of Ephesians asks us how much of this gospel would we like to buy? $3 worth? Or the whole kit and caboodle? And walk, as it says, worthy of this calling. That's the question now being asked of children, teenagers, young people, and parents, children, teens, how, how, much, how much of the gospel are you, as it were, buying or applying in your relationship with your, uh, with your parents, rather? Do you wish to walk worthy of this calling in that relationship with your parents? Or do you really only want $3 worth? It's a good question to ask whatever age you are, if your parents are, are living, to ask, is the gospel defining how I relate to my mom and dad? And God asks parents here, parents, how much gospel are, as it were, you buying or applying in your relationship with your children? As Dr. Carson put it, just enough to make your family secure? and your children well behaved, about $3 worth, or, or by grace, are you seeking to walk worthy of this calling to which you've been called as it relates to your children? That's the challenge here, and so I would sum up the main idea as follows. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus must profoundly shape the relationship between children and parents. Let me say that again. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, must profoundly shape, must thoroughly shape the relationship between children and parents. Let's see both. First, the gospel's shaping power for children. First, the gospel's shaping power for children. Now recall that the Apostle Paul here is, is still building on the effects or results of being filled with the Spirit as he called us to in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. One result of being filled with the Spirit was submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, chapter 5, verse 21. Now that call is applied to children 
in chapter 6, verse 1. So put the Holy Spirit's power as a banner over this, kids, and see Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And those, those last three words are particularly important to note. In the Lord. In the Lord means your relationship with your parents is bound up in a relationship with Jesus. In the Lord should orient you vertically, not just horizontally, helping you realize this is a God issue, not just a parent issue. In the Lord reminds you that you walk this relationship out with your parents, coram Deo, that means before the face of God. Obey your parents in the Lord. And then God adds a second motivation. For this is right. Right in the eyes of God. Right in almost every culture and society. And then a third motivation, beginning in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. For this is the first commandment, the first of the Ten Commandments, with a promise, a particular personal promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land or you might translate that the earth. The apostle is now quoting the Greek translation of Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, highlighting a promise, a promise that is to motivate obedience, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land or in the earth. It's no longer about the promised land of Canaan for the Israelites. Now the promise is generalized that it may go well with you and you may live long in the earth. So what does that mean? How should we take that? Well, some see this as a kind of communal promise that obedience to parents translates to it going well in society in general and certainly in the church. And since Ephesians is about God's new society, the church, that's certainly possible. Many see, perhaps most see, a promise that obedience does, generally speaking, cause it to go well for you in this life. When my children were younger, we talked a lot about Ted Tripp's picture derived from this verse. He describes a circle of blessing for children. And we would talk about how by obeying mom and dad, by seeking to honor mom and dad, you stay, as it were, in the circle of God's blessing. We can certainly say that much. And maybe that's particularly in mind here. I don't think, though, we should entirely rule out at least as an analogy, at least by way of analogy, gospel hope as well. This commandment the apostle is quoting, it was originally given with Israel's inheritance of the promised land of Canaan in mind. For the Christian, that inheritance is transposed to the ultimate promised land, heaven. So I don't think it's entirely a stretch to see obedience by way of analogy, as at least, kids, 
posturing you, posturing you to hear and embrace that eternal hope. Kids, as you are teachable toward mom and dad, as you have a teachable heart toward mom and dad, and mom and dad teach you about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, as you are inclined to listen and hear and obey and believe, you experience that eternal hope in Christ. The famous evangelist John Wesley was converted in part through the faith of children who believed the gospel, who believed in this promise of life in Christ. Wesley was on a ship in the middle of the Atlantic when a storm broke out. And a group of Moravian missionaries began a worship service on the deck in this storm. Wesley records that when the storm became intense, quote, a terrible screaming began among the English, of whom he was one. But these Moravian Christians calmly sang on. Wesley wrote, I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? The man answered, I thank God, no. But were not your women and children afraid? Wesley asked. No, the man said. Our women and our children are not afraid to die. And Wesley was convinced something was terribly missing in his life, and he found it later in Jesus Christ, that hope of eternal life. Those kids knew that promise ultimately in Christ. You obey to do what is right. And so children, teenagers, young people, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, let's apply that. Are you ever, kids, young people, are you ever in a situation in which you disagree with your parents? Anybody kids out there, you ever happen to possibly disagree with your parents? None of you. That's fantastic. I'm sure you do. How do you handle that? Well, you can, I trust, respectfully appeal to mom and dad. Moms and dads, I would strongly encourage you as your kids get older to allow for a respectful appeal. But at the end of that discussion, kids, if you still disagree, what then? Well, remember these words, in the Lord. That will help you think vertically about what God wants. That will help you live coram Deo, before the face of God. Then you will ask, how might I glorify God in the midst of this disagreement? Because that's always the right question to ask, whatever your age is. How might I glorify God right now? And you will by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's help. Maybe, though, maybe you're a young person or maybe you're an adult here and you've yet to trust in Christ. I don't want to just presume too much. I would be remiss if I did not call you right now to turn to Christ, to turn from going your own way and to trust only in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to take away your sins 
and bring you to God. So I want to urge you, appeal to you right now, if you've yet to trust in Christ, to turn to Jesus. Trust only in Him. Only, and I mean only in Him. Appeal. Cry out to God to take away your sins and reconcile you to Himself. And God promises, Jesus promises not to drive away any who sincerely come to Him. So come to Him even now. That's how by the Spirit... The gospel of Jesus must profoundly shape children. What about parents? I'm going to spend a little more time here on the gospel's shaping power for parents. How this good news shapes, moms and dads, shapes the task, the holy task of parenting. I recall bringing our firstborn, Abigail, home from the hospital and placing her in the bassinet in our little living room and having this thought distinctly, now what do we do? <laughs> there is no owner's manual given to us by the hospital. I have owner's manuals or, or it's rather instruction manuals, instruction manuals for my appliances, for my car. I have no instruction manual for this human being. Parents, can you relate to that? Maybe even this week. Well, certainly, all of the Bible is our instruction manual, you might say, and the entire Bible instructs us. But, but the next verse is packed with wisdom from God for you and me. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, fathers are addressed, obviously, but mothers, you are certainly included. Think of Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not, forsake not your mother's teaching. So, moms, you are in verse 4. But fathers, obviously, we bear some particular responsibility, do we not? In fact, in this day, fathers basically had unlimited authority over their children to do whatever they wished, beat them, imprison them, or even kill them. So perhaps that's why, or part of why at least, fathers are singled out and told what not to do first. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not do not exasperate them, the New International Version puts it. So parenting must be coram deo before the face of God as well. Our authority is submitted to His. So how might we provoke or exasperate our children? One way is through hypocrisy. And children are very good at identifying hypocrisy our own unrepentant sin. James chapter 1 tells us the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And yet so often it seems I believe the opposite. Somehow my anger will achieve something. Just this past uh, week it was, I had a situation where I was 
instructing one of my children, and they disagreed with my perception. They were objecting, in a way, to my instruction and highlighting a, diff a different situation and asking me if I saw the apparent hypocrisy. <laughs> and I shut that objection down. No, I don't see it. Only to find out later, I didn't have all the information about that situation. I realized I had assumed when I should have asked a question to understand. So I went to this child and I confessed my impatience and asked for their forgiveness. Parents, when you sin in anger or impatience or fill in the blank, confess your sin to that child and request forgiveness. Otherwise, you will be hypocritical and you will provoke your child. Another way we can do this is by failing to encourage. By failing to encourage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, like a father... Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. That's spiritual leadership. We exhorted you and we encouraged you. Moms and dads, be glad for what your kids do right and communicate your encouragement about that. We as parents can sometimes say or think, my kids, when they obey, are just doing what they're supposed to do. So why should I encourage them? You ever think that? They're just doing what they're supposed to do. Why should I encourage them about that? Well, here's why. Because what you encourage, you cultivate, for then you are motivating them by grace. And in light of the gospel, friends, we must motivate by grace. My friend Steve Farrington has a good analogy. He calls this the attitude we can have, proofreading. When you're proofreading something, you're looking intently for errors, for mistakes. You've got your red pen out. Aha, that comma should be a semicolon. And proofreading is good when you've got a paper or assignment you're trying to correct. Proofreading is not good when you're relating to your child or somebody, someone else. People proofreaders are focused on other people's deficiencies and forgetful of their own. And so they do not encourage. But the gospel of grace must shape how we relate instead. Because parenting involves a lot of correction. So parents consider are my children also aware of my encouragement? Am I consistently and sincerely encouraging them? Here's one other third way. Third way we can provoke or exasperate, simply a lack of time, a lack of time together. I realize there are limitations on time for all of us. This was driven home to me when I heard Mark Foreman, the father of John and Tim Foreman of the band Switchfoot, and he was giving a talk on parenting. 
And he said this. He said, love, love is spelled T-I-M-E. And he's right. He's right because our children should experience, parents, they should experience our parental authority in the context of a loving relationship. And relationships require time. And parents, as your kids get older, you will, out of necessity, parent more out of influence than sheer authority. Influence is a product of relationship. And relationships require time. My kids will tell you that I am rather nutty about dinner time together. And they give me a hard time. But I, I am intentional to want to have that time to seize together, to hang out together, to be together, to interact together, to prolong dinner time as long as possible, to spend time together. It also means I, I seek to drive them to school regularly to have time with them. Or lunches at Chipotle to have time with them. So friends, that's what not to do. Fathers and mothers, what should we do? Well, verse 4 continues. Bring them up. Do not provoke your children to anger, but, but bring them up. Same word is translated nourish in chapter 5 with husbands and wives. Nourish them. Bring them up. Nourish them in the discipline. What's that? Well, it's, it's training with teeth. It's training sometimes that includes punishment. Same way God relates to us. Hebrews 12, disciplining us for our good. Bring them up, nourish them in the discipline and, and instruction. Think verbal instruction, especially from Scripture. Not a lecture, not an entire sermon, but ministering God's Word together. Bring them up, nourish them in the discipline and instruction. Now notice, of the Lord. I want to highlight those words for us moms and dads as well. Kids, I ask you to notice in the Lord. Parents, please notice of the Lord in this verse. It's parenting in the sphere of the Lord, parenting with the Lord Jesus as our reference point. In other words, our discipline and instruction must not be unconnected with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We discipline and we instruct in the sphere of, with relationship to Jesus. It's of the Lord. It's what happens, moms and dads, when in parenting, you becomes we. When in your discussion, it goes from, here's what you did, here's what you need to hear, here's what you didn't do, to this is why we, my son, we, my daughter, this is why we need Jesus. Because we are sinners and need the good news of a Savior. And we have such a Savior. Do you track with me? Suddenly you becomes a we moment, a gospel moment, a moment of discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
You see, discipline and instruction of the Lord reminds us here that parenting is ultimately a stewardship. Do you think that way, moms and dads? Parenting is ultimately a stewardship. I recently took my second child, my older son, off to college. He's the first one to move out. I was convinced he was ready. I was convinced I was ready. We made the trip, spent the night in a hotel, check him in early the next day into the dorm, get stuff moved in, et cetera, et cetera. Doing fine. I am cool with this. Go to say goodbye at the dorm doorway, and the emotion just rose up, and I choked up, said goodbye, said, I don't want to be an awkward parent. He said, thank you. Got into my car. I was fine. I was now recovered. I was fine. I'm driving down the interstate. And I'm just having these flashbacks. Of playing catch hours and hours with this little boy who's not a little boy anymore. And, and I struggled. I came home and, and I, was, I was struggling. And my dear wife was seeking to care for me and she, she said this, it was very helpful. She said, Tab, we were always just stewards, not owners. That helped me remember. This is just a stewardship. We don't own this child. A stewardship means we are pointing our children to another family, God's family. A stewardship means my ultimate goal must be Jesus' ultimate goal. And Jesus says, make disciples, make followers of him. Excelling in sports, getting good grades, prospering in a career, sharing certain values you have, perhaps all fine goals, perhaps really good goals. But this must be your stewardship goal. This must be your greatest goal, that they would know him and follow him. This is why you discipline and instruct in the sphere of the Lord. Listen, Parents, outward obedience is a good but insufficient goal. I wonder if you agree with that. Outward compliance is a good but insufficient goal. 
We are called to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus Christ, and that requires the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul Tripp puts this so well. He says, if all your children needed was the knowledge and enforcement of rules, then the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus would not have been necessary. If all they need are our rules, they don't need the gospel. But they desperately need the gospel. You see, to make disciples, we must buy much more than $3 worth of gospel. Listen, the gospel alone can bring our children into God's family. The gospel alone can give our children eternal life. The gospel alone can impart to them spiritual life now, joining them spiritually to the risen Christ. The gospel alone can declare our children righteous with the righteousness of Christ. The gospel alone can bring the power of the Holy Spirit into their lives. The gospel alone can free our children from slavery to sin. The gospel alone can transform our children from within. The gospel alone initiates a lifelong process of change. So we must intentionally parent with gospel hope because a day is coming. Revelation chapter 20 tells us a great judgment day. The Apostle John writes that books will be opened on that day. And then he says, so thankfully, Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, parents, you cannot write your child's name in the book of life. Hear me. You cannot accomplish that. You cannot achieve that in your own strength. You do not write your child's name in the Lamb's book of life. But you can be, oh, a wonderful means of demonstrating and declaring that good news such that God might act upon them and make them his own. But I realize you might here have a child who's in a difficult place right now. Maybe you have an adult child who's far from God, and that happens to the best of parents, and in the best of families. I want you, if that's your situation, to think of one Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Would you have called Saul of Tarsus a seeker? Seeker of truth and a lover of God in a way, I suppose, perhaps. And he was really a seeker of Christians to throw them in jail. He really wanted to see Christians killed, not become a Christian. But God had other plans. God knocked him off his horse, blinded him, transformed him from within to be the human author of this letter. Oh, that should give us such hope, shouldn't it? This good news is powerful in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, pray. Ask the Spirit to fill you 
Ask the Spirit to convince your child. Ask the Spirit to transform your child. Because that's what God does through this gospel. He transforms them from within. That's what they most need, is our children. Let me say a word lastly to us as a church community. Because Ephesians is about the church. So let's think of this briefly as a community of people. Friends, if someone's kids in this church are obviously and consistently out of line, care enough to help that parent. Maybe take them under your wing. Maybe serve as a mentor. They might need your help, and they certainly need your encouragement. Even single adults, help us, pray for us. In our home group on Friday, a single gal was praying for a mom who'd had a hard week. That's beautiful. It's a church community helping to do this. Singles, you'll be such a blessing if you go to a parent around you and you say, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for your children? Oh, what a blessing you will be. This is about a community together. God has not left us to ourselves. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus must profoundly shape, profoundly shape the relationship between us, children and parents. Let's pray together, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I don't know what's on your heart as you're listening to this. But some hearts might be weighed down with sadness over a wayward child. I want to pray for you in particular. I believe God wants to encourage you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thank you for your care for the church and this church such that you would provide such needful instruction and even more so the power of your spirit and the power of the good news of Jesus to transform children, teenagers, young people, and so do that, we ask you, for any who are straying from Jesus, we ask you to arrest their hearts and grant them repentance unto life. We pray for any parents who right now might be weighed down with sadness. You would lift their eyes to you in hope afresh. And for all of us, would you envision us? Would you give us eyes to see how we might be a community together that is caring for each other in these ways? Father, raise up mentors 
for parents. Raise up single adults who lift children up before the throne of grace. Help us to live this out, we ask you. We pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're going to celebrate.